So this is very exciting day uh, for us here at Milestone Asset Management Group, as this is officially our first podcast. It's uh, with myself and Rich Lopresti. We don't even have a name for the podcast yet, but we wanted to uh, go out and uh, record something pertaining to a very hot topic and very current topic. And there's a lot of discussion happening around this topic currently in the, in the market world. It has to do with cryptocurrency. So uh, uh, luckily for us, Rich is an expert when it comes down to cryptocurrency. He's, uh, he's basically immersed himself into it. And I figured we will just basically go in and have a little discussion, fairly high level around what this is, how it works, where it came from, and so on. Hey, Rich, you, uh, can you hear us? I certainly can. How are you, Mike? All right, Ben. It's good to be here with you, my friend. Hopefully, once we get all our shots, we can actually do this in the studio, but it is what it is at this point. So what I'd like to do is we'll, we'll kind of kick this thing off where I'll ask some questions that, that came to us from clients, questions that I've seen on social media, and we just kind of have this conversational topic around cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and, and other cryptos that are out there. How does that sound to you? Sounds terrific. Right, my friend. Okay, so let's get this going. So why don't we start off by explaining what is cryptocurrency? What exactly is this elusive cryptocurrency thing? Yeah, well, I, I think a good question would be what is money, right? So, you know, money is a, a store of value. It also is something that you can utilize to, to purchase something or transact. You know, back in the day, people traded, you know, seashells or beads or if I had milk from a cow, I could trade it for maybe some grain. So it, it's really something that people utilize throughout history as something that's worth something that they can transact and trade with someone else, right? So that's really what Bitcoin has become, except it's now what people call digital currency or it's money born of the internet, right? So it's kind of catching up to the internet. So it's replacing old fiat money where you can print as much as you possibly can you know, just like we've seen through, you know, the coronavirus printing two trillion here, two trillion there. Bitcoin, there's only 21 million coins. It's a limited supply, which is on the blockchain, which the blockchain really is software that makes money decentralized. And what the exciting thing about this is that Bitcoin is more of a world currency as opposed to just, say, the United States or the euro, et cetera. So it's, it's been taking the world by storm. It was created by Satoshi Nakamoto. We don't really know who he is, actually, back in 2009. And ever since then, there's been doubters, people saying it's going to fail, 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 fail. And you know it's taking off. And I think as we speak right now, it's uh, approaching $60,000 a coin. Yeah, no, that's an interesting intro into actually some of the questions that I have, which you know, a lot of our clients are posed to me, I'm sure you as well. So let's just take a step back and instead of looking at this Bitcoin, how does one make a Bitcoin? How do you produce Bitcoin? Can you, what exactly, how do you do it? So Bitcoin is what they call mined. So if you do uh, and look at an analogy of gold, so we used to be on the gold standard back in the day where our fiat money was actually backed by something. Right, you couldn't just print it because it had to be backed by gold. So, in gold, you know there are miners, and in the early days, they took, you know, pickaxes and they just kind of hacked away and found gold. 
right? That's considered mining, you know? And as technology has evolved, people were able to mine gold a little bit more efficiently, right? So when you look at Bitcoin, it's actually using the internet or it's using the blockchain to solve algorithms to mine for Bitcoin. So everything is what they call encrypted in the web. So that's what people have a hard time, I feel, grasping on. But people need to realize that everything is in the cloud. Everything is basically in, in the internet, as opposed to you know gold being lifted from the ground. But the beauty part about mining for it, so people are using computer power to mine Bitcoin. So one Bitcoin is mined, basically one block is mined every every 10 minutes. And it's going to take until about 2140 for all the Bitcoin to be mined, which is also very interesting. So with all this mining and blockchains and production of Bitcoin, who is actually running the show? Is there one party that's responsible? How do you become somebody who can mine this particular currency? And are there certain entities or companies or individuals that have a leg up on the mining of this particular crypto? Right. Well, Bitcoin in general, and we can get into the blockchain and, and kind of other cryptocurrencies, but Bitcoin itself is decentralized. So that means that there's no advertising for Bitcoin. So you see there's no commercials for it on TV. There's no corporation that is giving people money to work on the blockchain or the code to make it better, more efficient. It's decentralized, which means that there's no one given person that is responsible for it. So, in other words, the people that are mining the Bitcoin are also working on the code. They have what they call they run specific nodes. And here's an interesting thing that just happened the other day. So, everybody loves Tesla and everybody loves Elon Musk, and you know, he's a very flamboyant billionaire. He bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin about a month, month and a half ago, which almost doubled already in value. So I could move there. But he didn't stop there. He's actually running specific nodes, and he's also helping with the source code. And he just submitted some fixes to the code because it's, again, Mike, it's open source, which means that no one is con controlling it. So you can't change what Bitcoin is because Everybody owns it, so everybody basically has a say in it. So you can kind of only point it directionally. And again, the point is limited supply. It has value. And then if you look at what's happening, it's a store of value, but now you actually can use it at a store. Uh, PayPal just announced yesterday that they're allowing 30 million merchants to accept cryptocurrency through the PayPal platform. And there's also other platforms out there that have credit cards where you can utilize it anywhere. So you actually can also not only use it as a digital gold, but you can actually also use it in transactions as well. But no one person is controlling it. And again, that's why it's, it's a world currency. And if you think about it, Mike, there's 8 billion people in the world, right? And they're adopting it pretty feverishly. It's only about 10 to 15% adoption at this point, but it's moving pretty quickly. Yeah, I know that a lot of companies are starting to accept it as a form of payment, you know, no PayPal, Square, just to name a few. Uh, and I guess PayPal is, is taking a pretty big stake in this Bitcoin space, which is interesting. And I know Morgan Stanley and, and I'm sure other banks will be right behind them offering that as, a, as an asset class. Now, if we look at Bitcoin specifically, is there anything behind it? Is there any collateral? Is there anything 
that sort of backs that particular, I guess, currency would be the proper word to use here? I mean, I would kind of go back to saying that, you know, every fiat currency, which fiat for anybody who's out there that's not, not sure what that means, it means that there's a currency that's not backed by anything. It's just backed by the currency. So every fiat currency in the world right now is being inflated. In some countries, it's more obvious than others. But what's happening is, is that the value of your dollar bill is lessening as we speak. It's, it's eroding. Whereas, again, the blockchain is not backed by anything per se, but it's backed by the network. It's backed by the technology. It's backed by the people that use it and view it. And, and you know, it's just like, is your seashell, you know, back in the day, is that backed by anything? It's very interesting, very subjective. There's a book called Origins of Money. It's about a thousand pages long, and it kind of goes through, again, what is money. And Bitcoin is, in my opinion, is a form of money, and it's also a store of value at this point. Yeah, no, it's definitely a, a very interesting shift. I guess one of the biggest questions that I get from not just clients, but from people that I just kind of come across was, how can, you know, when, when you're buying stock, you can actually get a stock certificate, right? And if you're buying a bond, you can get a bond certificate. You go out and buy gold, you can actually buy bullion. You can physically have it shipped to you, or you can put it in, you know, in a safe and, you know, physically have it next to your bed if, that, if that's what you want. You can sure. touch it, you can feel it, right? This is something tangible. So I guess what some people are struggling with is that, how can something that just doesn't exist, right? You can't, there's no coin, there's no physical anything that you can get. So how can something that doesn't exist in the material world have a monetary value, in your opinion? Well, well, it does exist in, in ones and zeros. So what's interesting too, and I kind of take a step back, we haven't had a new asset class. Uh, and you know, Fidelity is considering this uh, an emerging asset class. Goldman Sachs back in uh, May of 2020 said, Bitcoin's not an asset class. And as you alluded to just yesterday, they came out and said they're going to be offering Bitcoin to their clients. But the point is, is that traditional banks and banking says you don't need to have a traditional bank anymore to be a middleman of a transaction. So Bitcoin is more efficient in that you have a digital wallet. So if you want something physical, well, you know, 95%, well, I would say maybe 100% of the people listening to this call have a cell phone. So your cell phone is now your bank. It's called a digital wallet, right? So the big banks, traditional banks have, have failed and failed miserably to have people utilize that because they just layered old technology on the app at Bank of America or Goldman or Morgan. And what's happening is there's new digital wallets that are available where you can send money anywhere in the world for a fraction of the cost instantaneously in these digital wallets. So you do actually have a physical digital wallet where you can see your Bitcoin or other coins. Uh, so it is physically there. I think people are having a hard time with it because they don't actually have access to it. They're confused by what it is through the media. But now with the likes of Square and PayPal, with the clicks of a button, you can actually purchase Bitcoin and other coins as well. And now incumbents and you know banks and such and debit cards, credit cards, everywhere you go and shop with a Visa or a MasterCard logo. Well, it's just plastic. I mean, what's, what's, what is that? You know, it's just it's so, but now you could actually utilize that with Bitcoin as well. So Visa and MasterCard are scrambling to get involved in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency because if they don't, they're actually going to go 
the way of the horse, like, you know, the, the, the car and the EV and soon to be the self-driving car. So it's an evolving space. And, you know, it is, we're, we're turning into a digital world. We are in the digital revolution as I, I see it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. A lot of companies are jumping on. You know, I remember back, you can correct me if I'm wrong, and I think it was 2017 or 18 when this Bitcoin originally came in. It definitely felt like a bubble. There wasn't a lot of institutional push behind it. You know, it kind of ran up to 20,000 and then it took a huge dive to about 3,000. Since last year, it seems to uh, be going up because of a lot of institutional interest in this particular currency. Now, in your opinion, Rich, why does it fluctuate so much? Like, why is there such a big swings when it comes down to that particular currency? Well, it's, it's, it's an emerging asset. You know, it, it moved basically from, from 4,000 in March of last year to about 60,000 or 62,000. Now it's hovering around 59, 60,000. You know, as more and more people adopt it, it's, it's going to become less and less volatile. But again, looking at the dollar bill, well, that's kind of slowly eroding. I mean, if you look at the purchasing power over the past 10, 20, 30 years, you know, just Google your year of birth and, and look up the price of milk or gas or a home or a car you know, back in 1960 or 70 or 1950, and you'll see there is inflation. But you know what? Your dollar bill is still worth one dollar bill. So that's why people have a hard time. They're like, oh, I'm hoarding these dollar bills or they're under my mattress or in my bank not earning anything, but I still have that. But it's slowly eroding over time. So it's another way to look at it. If you flip it, that's actually volatile. Whereas Bitcoin moved from 4,000 to 60,000. Well, I'd rather have that even if it is swinging Five or ten or fifteen, twenty. Even if it moves fifty percent from sixty to thirty thousand, you know you're still up hundreds of percents from last last March. So, you know the problem is also people look at it day to day, week to week. You know, but if if you look at it month to month, year to year, Bitcoin actually has been the best performing asset class over the past decade. But you know there is is some volatility within it. So it's 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 very interesting. But like you were mentioning. The big banks and those businesses are getting involved right now because if they don't, they're, they're, they're losing out on business. So in other words, you know, when, when brokers were, were trading, so when you bought a stock years ago, it might have cost you $500 or $400 or $300, and then it went to you know, $20, $10, and now it's actually free to trade. Those incumbents or those old institutions still wanted to charge you $500 to trade. And if you go to... Edward Jones, they're still charging you three, four hundred dollars a trade where you can buy a stock for free, right? There's, they're kind of holding on to it. So that's what the banks were doing, denying what Bitcoin actually was. But now they're embracing it because they can see that they actually can make money out of it or money off of it somehow by selling it to people. Uh, but you actually can buy Bitcoin, you know, on your own without having a middleman and, and kind of cut out those costs as well. But most people are used to traditional banks and institutions saying. Yes, you can buy Bitcoin. So a good example is Fidelity Investments has been mining their own Bitcoin since 2013, building out, spending tons and tons and millions and probably even billions of dollars on infrastructure for Bitcoin, but not for their retail client, for the institutions. You know, and they never said it's okay for the retail clients to buy it. Now, eventually they will, but you don't need to have these institutions or these traditional forms you know, of financial advice to tell you to do something. It's black and white. You know, that this is the future. There's risks to everything, I would say. You know, you don't even know if the sun's going to come up tomorrow, but <laughs> you're still moving on. So you can't worry about everything. And I'm not saying put your whole basket in it, but 
you know, five percent allocation into into Bitcoin or Bitcoin like companies. You know, if you did it a year ago, it would have moved up to about a twenty five percent allocation of your portfolio because that's how much it has grown. Very yeah, interesting. No. It really is. So let me ask you a question. So since you mentioned Fidelity has been mining Bitcoin since 2013, I mean, I used to work for Fidelity for about 13 years. So have you. That's essentially how we met. And right now we clear through Fidelity. This is where all of our accounts are at. It's a phenomenal company. But they have a lot of money, right? They're, they're huge. Trillions and trillions of dollars. So Right. If they jump in into the Bitcoin mining space, is there an opportunity for them to monopolize that space because they can essentially outspend and mine more Bitcoin. Do you, do you think that's a no, potential? Yeah, so, so, the, so, so it's a good question. You know, there's a lot of miners, people mining all around the world. Now, Asia is actually where most of the mining takes place. But the more miners that come on and the more people mining for Bitcoin, you still actually mine the same amount of Bitcoin. So that's how savvy and slick this, this software, these algorithms are. So in other words, if there's 10 miners mining, right, and they're able to mine 100 Bitcoin per year, right? So that's what it is. But if more people mine and say now there's 100 miners, well, guess how much Bitcoin they mine in a year? 100. It stays actually the same because the computations that these computers have to solve gets more complex the more miners that they are. And the same thing is true if 10 miners went to five miners those same five miners would mine the same 100 Bitcoins that year. That's how smart it is. Now, what Fidelity can do is they can run what I mentioned before, like Elon Musk was doing, these nodes, and they can also, with the open source, work on Bitcoin itself to, to improve it, make it faster, make it better, make it more efficient, but they can't control it. They will never be able to control it. And that's the point of it. Again, it's decentralized world currency there's limited supply, and no one is is actually controlling it except the community, which is the people. And you know, with the internet, you can see the internet has been flipping a lot of businesses and bringing things back to the person, as opposed to companies and countries controlling things. And that's the whole the whole point of it. So let me ask you a question. So if I wake up tomorrow and I say, you know what, I want to be a miner. I want to mine Bitcoin. What do I do? Can anybody go in and just mine the Bitcoin? What's the uh, you, process you, you, for becoming you, you someone could. who can do that? You know, it's, it's, you're, not, you're not going to get anywhere. I mean, you could, you know, someone tried to, it's actually mining Bitcoin. It's kind of a joke on their Game Boy that they, they had from, <laughs> you know, 1995. But he's not going to be able to mine one. It's going to take him like 100 years to mine one Bitcoin. You need pretty sizable computer power to be able to do that. So, you know, I would just recommend buying it, not not mining it. But these miners that are mining, so it's basically costing them an average of, you know, five thousand to ten thousand dollars to actually mine a Bitcoin that's worth sixty thousand. So you can buy a Bitcoin miner. And that's why those companies are doing very well, is because, you know, they have pretty good, pretty good margins. It's a good question. Um, there are other coins that you can, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too deep in that, but there's, you know, Ethereum or there's a, a coin called Chia that you can you can mine right from your computer. There's, you know, it's 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 definitely an interesting space. So so let me yeah thank you. So let me ask you something else. So we talked about 
Bitcoin, you went through a little bit of history of it and, you know, what, they, what it takes to mine it and produce it and stuff. what's behind this whole digital currency. But from the perspective of regulations, right? So if we switch, you know, we are in the business of, you know, being a registered investment advisor. Part of what we do is very heavily regulated. So from the perspective of regulation, right? How does U.S. government, how is the SEC, how is it currently viewing just the Bitcoin itself? And then the next thing we'll do is we just kind of move into, okay, how do we buy it? What's the process and so on? Yeah, so regulation, I mean, that's that's what a lot of people are afraid of. But again, this is this this Bitcoin in itself is the antithesis of that. It's the opposite, right? It can't be regulated. You know, what could happen is it could be taxed or the on-ramps or the off-ramps, meaning you know, the PayPals and the squares and the way that you can purchase it could be hindered. But it's big business right now, and there's a lot of big businesses involved, and it will do a lot more hurt or harm than good if it is regulated to to that extreme is number one. Number two, you know, if we want to compete and we want to have innovation, well, if you go to any university, you can go to Berkeley or you can go to MIT, all of these kids and what they're doing is they're taking cryptocurrency classes, they're taking blockchain classes, they're building new businesses on the blockchain, which could be another podcast, but all of these smart, wonderful people over the past 10, 15 years, these are the classes they've been taking. And I'm going to tie this into regulation. So there's a gentleman by the name of Gary Gensler. A couple of weeks back, he was nominated to become the new head of the SEC. I believe by the end of this week, his confirmation will be affirmed. And right now, Gary Gensler is still an MIT professor. And back in 2017, he was teaching a blockchain and a cryptocurrency class to MIT students, which is actually available online. You can kind of Google it and you can watch it for free. So the new head of the SEC is very, he's an intelligent man who is being been involved in Bitcoin and blockchain, you know, for years. So you're going to see new ETFs being approved. Fidelity, as we mentioned, they actually just put an ETF with the SEC to, to get approved, you know, hopefully by the end of the year. But we're going to see some regulation, but it's not going to be anything that's going to hamper or stop, you know, the growth of, of Bitcoin. And you're going to see the evolution of currencies or coins, you know, that are actually produced by your government. So instead of a dollar bill, eventually you will have a digital currency <laughs> in the dollar. And it's going to be able to transact with Bitcoin and all these other cryptocurrencies. And, you know, like anything, nothing is, is perfect in, in this world, but, you know, this is definitely here to stay. So, again, looking at the regulators coming in, you know, they're not going to regulate this to death. And, you know, to be honest with you, it's over a trillion dollar asset right now, which is bigger than a lot of currencies of, of different countries, bigger than most market caps of big corporations. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. Maybe in 50 years, it'll, it'll be usurped by something else. But, but we're due for a change in how our money looks and feels and what it actually is. As you know, part of our practice at Milestone is that we work primarily with retirees or people who are very close to retirement. So their risk tolerance, you know, part of what we do is having this conversation with somebody about a mind shift from accumulation part of their life to a distribution part of your life, right? You have to measure risk. You know, we talk about standard deviations and 
uh, many other ways that we can to evaluate portfolios when we build them. So from the perspective of sort of keeping things in line with that, how would an individual just in general go in and, and sort of purchase these particular Bitcoins at this point? Now, you can't buy them through Fidelity brokerage accounts. You can't buy them through, you know, through any brokerage account at this point. So if you wanted to go in and directly, if I wake up today and say, I want to buy a Bitcoin, how does one go about doing that? And then the second part is once you're done with that is, I want to discuss how that can be incorporated into the portfolios for somebody who's listening to this, say, gee, you know, I'm about to retire or I'm already retired and I don't really want to take a necessary risk. You know, this sounds like, you know, something I can't put my hands on. It sounds like there's not a ton of regulation around it. Why would anybody want to have that in their portfolio as somebody who is transitioning into the golden years, into the retirement? And how do we incorporate that, if at all, into those allocations? Yeah, well, I would say, again, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's number one. Number two, there's a lot of companies that are out there that are actually purchasing Bitcoin and involved in Bitcoin. You know, you can look at Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, Square. You can look at MicroStrategy, where they just keep buying more and more Bitcoin. You know, Tesla, there's a lot of those types of companies. There's also ETFs that have a lot of those minor stocks that I was talking to you about, like the Mara or Raya blockchain. Those are, are some of the mining companies, but there's, there's a lot of them. Coinbase is, is another place where you can go to, to purchase Bitcoin. That's actually going to be going public pretty soon, I think next month. There's also another place you can actually buy Bitcoin, which is called eToro. That actually went public uh, through a SPAC. Special Acquisition Corporation last month. So those are different ways that you can play it. There's also trust. There's like Bitcoin trust. So the biggest one is the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, GBTC. Uh, there's also other ones that are out there right now, Osprey Bitcoin Trust. But there's no ETFs in the United States. There's ETFs to purchase Bitcoin in Canada. There's three, in fact. But I believe there's six or seven ETFs that are, again, with the SEC right now, hoping to be approved pretty soon. They tried to approve them back in 2017. They said no. But now 2021, I think I think they're going to be approved. It could be as early as you know, May, June, uh, or they have to make a decision by the end of the year on these ETFs. So those are ways you can play it. As far as, you know, again, going back to all, not all your eggs are in one basket, you know, three to five percent allocation is not going to kill you one way or the other, even if it fails and goes the other way. But like I mentioned before, if you bought five percent or had a five percent allocation in Bitcoin or Bitcoin-like companies, you probably would have about twenty-five percent uh, allocation now in your portfolio because that's how well it's done. Now, obviously, as a financial planner, you want to pair that back, kind of bring that back. But in essence, you could be playing with the house's money. Obviously, it's at sixty k right now. It's not at 10K, not at 20K, not at 30K. But if you're in the camp, which I am in the camp of that, it'll be north of 100 grand or 100K by the end of the year. Well, there's still room for it to, to grow. And if you're looking long-term as a long-term investor, which I am and which most of our clients are or should be, you know, we're looking at at least a three to five to 10 year time horizon for that. Uh, and then I'd also say, you know, look at the fixed income portion of your portfolio. It's probably flat to down on the year if you look at that same time period. So what is risky? What is not risky is interesting. You have to look at it you know, from multiple, multiple standpoints. And the last thing I would say is 
you know, if someone is working with us, well, you're hiring us to make these decisions and these choices for you. We don't have a crystal ball. We're not always right. We're human. But again, we like to go with where the trends are. And we saw this trend kind of early on. And um, you know, like you said, it's hard to put it into a brokerage account or a retirement account. Those are the accounts you typically want to have it in. But you know, we found a way and you know, we're doing well, you know, by our clients for that. Yeah, no, that's a very interesting point. You know, I think that uh, for most clients and most people that I talk to, it's just a, something new. You know, I, I believe that it's very important to maintain a diversified portfolio. You know, you got to have this core, which we always talk about in our meetings and so on, of a diversified asset allocation. But then I think it's based on the individual's aptitude for risk. You know, I think a lot of people are getting more and more comfortable with this particular asset class. And I think what would be interesting is to kind of see the evolution of development. I think it would be very good to see some ETFs maybe some mutual funds, maybe other products that are registered with the Security Exchange Commission. So you're not directly buying cryptocurrency, but you're buying it through another channel, just like you do with you know Microsofts and Apples and everything in technology, right? Going to a specific allocation using a more watered-down approach where your risk is not as high. Obviously, your return is certainly going to be muted, but I think it would be very interesting to kind of see the development of this particular asset class and it's obviously you can't deny, right? You can't deny the fact that all the banks, all the big boys, all the institutions are jumping into it for many different reasons. So I think it'll be very interesting to see what comes out from that. Before we kind of wrap this up, do you have any sort of closing thoughts or ideas that you might want to kind of put it out there? Uh, well, just like you were saying, all these companies and corporations are moving into it takes these corporations a lot longer to get into it. So you're kind of front running them, which I mean by that is you're getting in before a lot of this other money is moving in. You know, again, you don't kind of go whole hog into, you kind of dip a toe into it. You can dollar cost average into it. You know, if you're going to do a 3% allocation, you can do maybe 1% this month, 1% next month. You can kind of see and test it out, you know, and again, for the people that are in it and have been in it that have seen, you know, 200 or 300 or 400% gain, you can, if you don't need the money, I would just kind of keep it in. But if, if you don't want to have that risk, you just tell a quarter of it. And now, again, you're, you're playing with gains, right? So you, you kind of took the risk off the table. So there's a lot of different ways to view risk. And again, like Mike said, it's based on your situation, you know, if you're accumulating, if you need income. But you know, it's definitely an emerging asset class. And you know, the big boys and the Fidelities and the Goldman Sachs of the world which people always listen to, and even BlackRock, which is another multi-trillion dollar company, you know, Charles Schwab, they all feel that that this is, is, is an asset class or an emerging asset class. The only reason why they say emerging asset class is because of the volatility that Mike alluded to earlier, and, you know, uh, no one wants to be wrong. So they always hedge themselves. <laughs> I really hope, you know, we can spend, you know, Rich and I talk about cryptocurrency and Bitcoins quite frequently. I mean, we can literally spend hours discussing it and going through very different, you know, very different topics and so on. But we wanted to kind of come out and, and put together uh, an episode that kind of talks a little bit about what it is, how to buy it, the ups and downs, the pros and cons to it, as well as to kind of put our thoughts into it. Now, for anybody listening to it, I obviously would, uh, would be remiss if I didn't say it my compliance team that you should never just go and invest into anything purely because you've heard about it 
on the podcast or the radio or the TV or in the mailings. You got this. You should always consult with the planner, the advisor that you work with and make sure that the investment is appropriate for you. Don't just go out and, and just start buying it purely because this is something that we are discussing. You know, I, I definitely want to thank Rich for coming on and uh, providing his expertise. If there are any questions, if you have any concerns or want to discuss anything further, or if you want to hear us to discuss this particular cryptocurrency further in specific areas, let us know. We'll be more than happy to put together cryptocurrency episode 2 or 2.0 and, and go deeper into specific areas. But I want to thank you, Rich, for coming on, spending a little bit of time here with us. And to everyone who's listening to it, let us know what you think. Again, this is our first episode, so we're excited to put it together. So be honest with us. And if you have any questions or concerns, just let us know all. So we want to thank you for your time and enjoy the rest of your day. You got it. Cheers. Cheers.